and thank you for worshiping. Let's continue our worship with the Word of God. Acts chapter 11, please. Uh, Acts chapter 12, actually, Acts chapter 12, verse 25. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. May God bless the reading of His holy word. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manonan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This uh, moment in history that's recorded by the author Luke in the book of Acts is a key moment in history. If you've done any reading on this text or this topic, it's become known through the centuries as the Antioch moment. It was a hinge point in history, a turning point in history, as it were. Up to this point, God had done great work, as Jesus said they would, through the church. God has done great work through his church, as Jesus said they would, in Judea, in Samaria, in Jerusalem, and it went out from there. It's at this point where the church went worldwide. From this point onward, churches planted overseas, planted in different places around the Roman Empire, and for hundreds of years, the church expanded and expanded exponentially through the world. It's an incredible moment, but a, a simple moment. A simple moment in the life of a church. Now we find this, I find this intriguing because God speaks and God reveals His will. I think if you're a believer in God, if, even if you're not a believer in God and you're here today, we want to hear God speak. We want to know His will. And coming to this text, uh, I, kept, I kept wrestling with the question, who is it that God calls? Who is it that God speaks to? How, how would... God call us, or, or what kind of a church does God speak to? How do you know when you're on the edge of history? How do you know that you're at a place of, of time when the Lord might send you? Well, you don't. <laughs> Sovereign God's in control of that, but is there something here that the church is set the table for? Is there something here where these, these, these simple men were primed for, that they, they put into place? It's a question for us to ask. Why would God call us? Why would God reveal His will to us? And so Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, it says in 25. They completed their service, bring with them John, whose other name was Mark. We have the story of these three men, 
And uh, we have all stories in this place. Uh, every one of us has a story, has a history, has a, a trajectory, as it were, has a, a path that we've walked that God is, sovereign God has brought us through to a certain time and place. Uh, we, we, we don't know much about the history of these places and these times, but what we do know is there was a church that was born in Antioch. Uh, I don't know if you travel around the country, there's, there's, sometimes you see Antioch Community Church or the First Church of Antioch or different places like that. And like Antioch, you're, you're in, you're in uh, like Pittsburgh <laughs> or you're in Austin or you're in, you're in uh, Colorado Springs. Why would you call your, name, your church Antioch? I think the planners of these kind of churches, they get excited about the future. They get excited about what God would do. And so they, they look at this Antioch moment, this Antioch church, and wow, maybe God could use our church to change history. And so they, they name the church that to kind of cast a vision. And what a, what a vision. Uh, but the church, how was it born? How did it come to be? Let, let's chase some history here a little bit, maybe to, to answer this question about who God speaks to who God calls. Turn back a few pages to Acts 11. Acts 11, verse 19. We, uh, we've been in the book of Acts, and we've skipped over some, some passages intentionally. like to fill in some gaps today to see God's story being told and unfolded. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who are scattered, remember the persecution of Saul, Remember when Stephen was killed and the church was scattered, the people went, they went into Judea and Samaria, but they went elsewhere. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So in the beginning, uh, the Jewish Christians who fled for their lives, they went to their cultural people. They went to their, the people that they, you know, that they could relate with. They preached the gospel to the Jewish people in these far-off places. Around the Mediterranean basin, around all kinds of uh, cities and towns and islands, there's, there's a Jewish uh, component or contingency there. Uh, you know, there's a people there of, of the Jewish nation, and so they preached to them. But, verse 20, there are some of them, men of Cyprus, uh, an island in the Mediterranean, and Cyrene, that's probably modern-day Libya, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, your translation might say the Greeks or the Gentiles. The Hellenists were the, a party of people that promoted the Greek ideals, promoted the Greek gods, the Roman, the Roman culture. Uh, it was a big deal. Some of, these, so some of these people that came, Jewish people that were living in Cyrene or, or Cyprus, when they came to Antioch, they started to say, hey, let's... Let's branch out. Let's try to reach people that don't look like us. Let's try to love people in Jesus' name who don't speak like us, who don't eat the foods we eat, who don't dress the way we do. <laughs> it was a big moment in church history, uh, an open door to, to uh, a worldwide church, as it were. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a cosmopolitan place in the eastern part of the, the, the empire, uh, all the, the, it was like a, a, a place where people would come for ec economy, for trade, for, for living. And so you had a whole spectrum of people from Africa um, all the way up north, everywhere that came to Antioch. It was famous for its immorality. 
the prostitution there was famous. Rome blushed at Antioch's antics, their sexual immorality. Uh, it, was, it was just famous for a lot of wickedness. Uh, very, very vast wealth in Antioch, as, as modern cities often have, and very great poverty. Uh, a lot of immigrants coming there that uh, you know, just were living on the street, living in back alleys. So it was a prime place to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of people in transition, like there's a lot of people in transition in the San Luis Valley at all times, people coming and going that haven't heard the gospel yet. Uh, the, so that there, there's people there that had a vision for seeing uh, the nations come to Jesus Christ. They started sharing with all these different nationalities and all these, these people groups, and it was, it was, it was wild. Um, they preached the Lord Jesus Christ. They proclaimed the Lord Jesus Christ. They shared the gospel of the great God who came from heaven to earth and died, was buried, and rose from the dead, ascended to the highest place, and they called people to worship Him. It was, it was a wonderful moment in church history. So that's how it got started. You know, nameless people. There's no names here. Right? Common people, common people that were saved, that responded to God's salvation, that responded to God's greatness in their life by telling other people. You know, as it were, people who received grace, who received bread, they told other people how to find bread, how to find grace, how to find salvation. And uh, again, it's, it's not the professionals, it's not the apostles doing this, it's people that God saved and that God called and sent one by one, two by two. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with him, and a great number, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Wow, a great number. What is that? We saw earlier in the book of Acts, thousands and thousands in Jerusalem, and now hundreds and maybe thousands are turning to the Lord in Antioch. It's a place about 300 plus miles north of Jerusalem. Um, verse 23, verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Remember uh, earlier in the, in the book, we saw that the, the Jewish people that had come to Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their, as their Savior, as their Lord, they really had, a tr had trouble believing that Gentiles like us could be saved. And so again and again, we see them sending emissaries, apostles out from Jerusalem. Oh, we heard that people are coming to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We, really? I don't think that could happen. So they, they sent out the apostles again and again. Here they send out Barnabas. Hey, go check that out. Antioch's coming to Christ? Wow. No way. No way. You know, it would kind of be like if, if suddenly we heard that Sanford or Manasseh came to Jesus Christ. Right? No way. No way. It's, it's an amazing, amazing time in history. And so they send Barnabas out. When he came and saw the grace of God, and again, maybe there's some external manifestations that the Spirit showed to show them that, to show, the, show Barnabas that they were in fact true Christians. He saw the grace of God. He was glad and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man. This is Luke speaking here, getting from the Spirit's leading editorial, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Okay, so it's saying that again and again. Throughout Acts, we have these praise reports. These, you know, what Luke is totally excited about, wherever, wherever the gospel goes, is when people come to the Lord. 
yeah, they came to the Lord, they came to the Lord, and the church expanded and grew. He's, he's always so excited to report that. So Barnabas, where did we first meet Barnabas? Uh, back in Acts chapter 4, just to give a picture of him a little bit. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Um, Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And this is the section of, of the church when, when people were just selling property, selling houses to support the early church, all the, all the pilgrims that were in Jerusalem that didn't have jobs and they were in need. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, that's that island out in the Mediterranean, a big one, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet." Uh, we, we, so we got a couple of pictures of Barnabas. He was part of the early church in Jerusalem. He was a real giver, right? He, he earned the nickname Son of Encouragement. Don't we all need people to encourage us? Don't, don't we all need people around us to encourage us and build us up and, and say, yeah, keep going, keep being faithful, keep being true, you can do it. <laughs> he, he, he had this reputation. Man, we, we need more Barnabases in our church, don't we? We need more more. Barnabas is to love and push one another towards righteousness and holiness and truth. Uh, he, and, but he, would, he gave with his life. And so Luke's report, you know, about him being a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Uh, he, we, we see a man who's living the life of Jesus Christ. We see a, a, a man who is redeemed, who is rescued, who is saved, and he responded with his life. What is worship? Worship ultimately is response of my life to the living God who has saved me, right? Sometimes we think of worship in a very narrow sense of just singing songs or what you do on Sunday morning. No, it's broader than that. It's worshiping God. I'm giving my life in response to what he's done for me, loving God and loving people. And, and Barnabas was a great man that way. But how did he, how did he come to be associated with Saul or Paul, as, as his Roman name is? So let's keep reading. In verse, uh, verse 24, uh, verse 25, chapter 11. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, uh, go back to chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 19. Uh, stepping back just a little bit farther. We didn't uh, spend much time in this text earlier when we were in chapter 9. Uh, the apostle, Saul was a Pharisee. A, he, was, he was taking rabbinical training in Jerusalem. He was on a fast track to stardom as a great Pharisee, as a great uh, religious leader in Jerusalem. But then he met Jesus Christ. Remember on Damascus Road, Jesus called him, blinded him for three days. He was, he was baptized and he started preaching right away. Look, look, look at the story of Saul. Um, uh, verse 19 of chapter 9, And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, uh, in Lebanon, Syria, that, that whole area. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He's the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon the name of Jesus? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, now, this didn't go on for very long. 
Um, at, at some point, we read in Galatians chapter 1 that, the apost- that, that Saul, be, you know, he's been called now. He went into Arabia for three years. And he tells us that he, he met with Jesus there. The, the risen Jesus met with Saul, poured uh, life into him, taught him uh, the gospel. Uh, so there, there's three years that we don't know a whole lot about other than it was a time of growth for Saul, a development. But right off the bat, we see, just like Barnabas who's come to the Lord, Saul is pursuing ministry. He's pursuing people with the gospel. He's serving God with his life. And then in verse 23, when many days had passed, uh, he came back to Damascus. See, there's, the, there's this kind of this break that, that Acts doesn't tell us about, but Galatians does. He left for three years. He comes back. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, who was watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. What a, what a humbling moment for, for Saul. He comes back to Damascus. I'm going to save all these people probably. You know, it's kind of like Moses. I'm going I'm to set these people free. And, and he, he, they, they decide they're going to kill him, just like Moses back in the day in Egypt. And he has to flee for his life. How humbling to be let down in a basket on the side of the wall and run for his life. It's a moment of learning, a moment of, of uh, growing in grace with, in humility with his God. Uh, but he went to Jerusalem, verse 26, and he, went, he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and when they were afraid, of, they were afraid of him, obviously, <laughs> for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So he'd gone into Arabia for three years, they lost track of him, he came back to Damascus, and now he's come to Jerusalem. But Barnabas, there's our Barnabas, he took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how, how in the road he had seen the Lord, how Paul had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, how, how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Uh, so the son of encouragement, hey, Paul can't break in anywhere. He, no one's receiving him. The apostles won't see him. But Barnabas comes alongside of him and says, hey, I'll take you in. You know, Barnabas is a trusted servant. He's serving the Lord. The apostles, you know, trust Barnabas. And so it's a great moment of, uh, 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 you know, in church history, the impact of the Apostle Paul was immense. The epistles he wrote, the churches he planted, the movement that he started. If Barnabas hadn't come along at, at a certain time and point, may, maybe he, he doesn't fulfill his, you know, I hate to say destiny, but he doesn't, he doesn't go down the path that he's supposed to go down. You know, maybe, maybe you're here to encourage somebody else to serve the Lord. Maybe you're here to come alongside somebody to be that Barnabas to somebody, to get them into ministry, to get them serving and using their gifts in a special way. I don't know, but what, what a great example for, for us to see this, this man serving in various ways. And, and so he, 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 he takes them, you know, takes them around, as it were. Um, verse, verse 28, so Paul, Saul, went, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So he's, he's serving. Again, who does God call? Who does God use? Who does God reveal uh, himself to? Uh, here's, here's Barnabas and Saul. They're both serving constantly the Lord. They're giving their life away. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Now, these aren't the Hellenist Greeks. Uh, these, these are the Hellenist Jews. There, there was a party in Jerusalem. They were called the liberals, the libs in Jerusalem, uh, who wanted the Greek culture to be you know, preeminent, to be, you know, and so he was preaching the gospel to them, but they were seeking to kill him again. Uh, Jesus told Paul when he was called on Damascus Road, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. 
right? And, and it starts early. He's preaching, and he, all these people are trying to kill him. When the brothers learned this, they, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Okay? And so here's, here's another summary report. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Right? We see that again and again in Acts, the, the, the praise report, the progress report. Wow, the, the, when people serve the Lord faithfully, when they give their life to the Lord, when they're, when they're living to glorify Jesus, right? when the church comes together in a powerful way, in a, in a submissive way, in a humble way, laying their life before the Lord, use me, Lord, use me, here I am, send me, Lord. Wonderful things happen to the community uh, as the gospel goes forth. But so, so you, know, you know, back to chapter 11, right? Uh, so we, we have this, uh, this deal where Paul is in Tarsus now. Cilicia is where it's at, modern-day Turkey. It's where he grew up, right? He ran for his life in Jerusalem after preaching the gospel. The hidden years, silent years, a, a long period of time where Paul is just not heard from. But uh, historians think that these, these, his time in Tarsus, his time in Cilicia, was a, very, was a very impactful time in his life because this is where many of his beatings took place. This is where many of his floggings took place. And we think maybe some of the shipwrecks that he reports in Corinthians took place in this time frame. Maybe this is the time frame where he saw the vision of heaven. Uh, hidden years, silent years to us, but to Saul, he's serving the Lord, he's preaching the gospel. In this, in this far-off place where he grew up, his hometown. But that's where, that's where we, we catch up again, right, uh, to where Barnabas, he's in Antioch, and the church is growing, the church is expanding, the church is reaching out, the church is, is you know, they, they see this huge mission field right before them, and, and they're going, and, 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 and they're in the church in Antioch, the first church of Antioch, they're, uh, you know, hundreds or thousands, and, and, and Barnabas is like, I need help. And that's where he goes and he finds Saul. Hey, come help me. I, I, I know your gifts. So the son of encouragement says, hey, you, I, you need to be brought into this work. Right? How many people in our church right now are on the sidelines? How many people right now in our church are not using their gifts? It's tragic. It's, it's almost embarrassing sometimes when God has given us supernatural empowerment to be used for his glory and it's not being used. Wow. It blows me away sometimes, and I, I feel, feel like such a failure sometimes that we're not moving you into ministry, not moving you into the work of God. But God has given spiritual gifts, as it were, your job in the church, and, and people aren't using their gifts. And, and so, man, again, this, this ministry of Barnabas, he's saying, Saul, come on, you got work to do. Maybe you know some people in the church that have gifts that aren't being used right now or have special skills and talents that are just being latent, sitting on a shelf somewhere. Call them out. Challenge them to get involved in the work of the Lord. There's no more important work in the history of the world. Eternal work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus is eternal. It changes lives, and it's the most meaningful thing you'll ever do. Uh, don't ever be hidden or on the sidelines somewhere. As a worshiper of Jesus, he's calling you to serve him. But we find here, uh, Saul goes to Antioch, and it says at the end of verse 11, chapter 11, verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples 
were first called Christians. Uh, the first time that, that term was used was in this cosmopolitan city. Those Christians, uh, puh, puh, kind of deal. It was, it was a term of, it was a derogatory term. It was a put down. Christ followers, uh, kind of deal. But since that, that time, of course, we've used that as a badge of honor. Yes, I am associated with Jesus Christ. Call me Christian. Call me a follower of Jesus Christ. Call me a man that's walking in Jesus' steps. Call me a man who's trying to emulate the values of Jesus. Yes, call me a Christian. For you, it might be a curse. For me, a curse word. But for me, it's, a, it's an honor. It's a privilege to be associated with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If I had, as Chad said, sometimes like talking about holiness, man, Maybe we're not qualified, but I want, to be, I want to have those values of Jesus. I want to have the character of Jesus. I want to have that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the, the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus in me. I want to be that man. Call me a Christian. Call me, call me, call me that. And so what a privilege, these people. They were so emulating Jesus, so walking with Jesus, that they resembled Jesus. So they called them Christians. They meant it as a derogatory thing. You're just like your Savior, aren't you? Amen. I want to be that way, don't you? And so, uh, so they, they, they serve there for a whole year. The church is growing and great things are happening because people are using their gifts and the church is reaching out to their community. They see broken lives and they want to see people changed. They want to see people saved. They want to see people redeemed. Now, verse 27 in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. How did they get to Jerusalem? <laughs> How did they meet John Mark? Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Uh, I think uh, mid-50s uh, A.D., the emperor Claudius, uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, drought in the Roman Empire, so there was a lot of famine, probably a time of 10 to 12 years. Um, so it took place during that time. Uh, Saul, Paul is probably in his mid-40s at this point. So is Barnabas, heading towards their, you know, our middle age. They're, they're probably uh, you know, in the last quarter of their life <laughs> this time. So the disciples determined, every, each one of them, according to their ability, to send relief to the brothers, to the, the church living in Jerusalem, in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, the Antiochian church was probably filled with a lot of people that had been slaves, a lot of impoverished people, a lot of broken people, a lot of people that didn't have a lot of power, and they didn't have a lot of money. And yet, when they heard about the Jerusalem church needing help, financial help, because they were starving, the church in Judea, they, 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 they took an offering, and this is where we get the term love offering, as it were. Uh, they, they took an offering, and they, they, you know, maybe sacks of grain, they, they shipped it or something like that. But Barnabas and Saul were charged with its oversight, administration, stewardship. And so they came to Jerusalem. Uh, and they came at just the same time, we think, that uh, Herod uh, Agrippa I was starting to persecute the church. Remember we looked at, was it just last week? I can't even remember. Uh, we looked last, just recently how he cut off, you know, killed James and he was going to kill the apostle Peter. They, they came to Jerusalem kind of at that time. 
and, and so that, that's where they meet John Mark. Now remember back in, in chapter 12, verse 25, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem after they completed their service. The service was the financial gift given to the church in Jerusalem, the financial or the, the grain, the offering of grain that they gave to the church in Judea. Uh, so they, they returned at some point back to Antioch, bringing with them John, whose other name was called Mark. Uh, so we have the story uh, of Barnabas, a faithful man serving the Lord. God is using him again and again. And the story of Saul, right, who God converted a, just a murderer, a, a you know, broken man. But when he comes to Christ, he's, he becomes this faithful man, always serving, always, always using his gifts, always participating in God's work. And who's this John Mark guy? Well, we met him when, remember when Peter escaped from prison, when the angel released his chains and opened the doors, and Peter went and knocked on the door at Mary's house, and Rhoda, the servant gal, said, hey, Peter's here. <laughs> well, that was Mary, the Mary that, Mary was a very popular name in the first century in, in, in Jerusalem. Mary was John Mark's mother, okay? So John Mark is, is his mother was the one who had the house. Now, tradition says, and of course, the Word of God is always higher than tradition, but sometimes tradition can point us in certain ways. Tradition says that uh, John Mark's house, uh, his, his father's house, was where Jesus had his last supper. You know, when they went searching for the upper room and they found an upper room, uh, the tradition says that it was this house where John Mark lived. Fascinating stuff. And, and so they, somehow John, from the beginning, was involved in the church. And there, there's another kind of, if you've ever read through the Gospel of Mark, the other Gospels don't have this, this characteristic or this quality to them or this, 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 this note. Uh, but if you look at, it's not, uh, it, not going to be on the screen, but if you look at Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I'll find it here. Mark chapter 14, verse, verse 51. Uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been praying, uh, and then Judas comes. And Judas comes with uh, soldiers uh, ready to arrest Jesus, and they see, they're trying to seize Jesus. In verse 51, and a young man, now the, the Gospel of Mark, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. John Mark of, of chapter 12, verse 25, is the, is the Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. And so this seems to be an autobiographical report about himself. That somehow, when Jesus came, and we don't know the story, uh, again, first, uh, second century um, church historians, they don't think that Mark was an eyewitness of Jesus. In terms of follow Jesus, he wasn't one of the disciples that followed Jesus in Galilee, those kind of places. But if, if in fact, uh, Jesus came to the upper room in his house uh, and then went out to the Mount of Olives that night, some, con in the, some conjecture is, is that this, this man started following Jesus that night. Maybe he heard the teachings. Maybe as they celebrated the Passover in the upper room, maybe this is where uh, Mark started, you know, heard of Jesus and he went out to the Mount of Olives. <laughs> we don't know why he's just got his linen undergarments right there. Um, maybe some, some, can, some think that maybe he was so excited when Jesus left, 
you know, and, and he heard some, some things were happening on, on the Mount of Olives, he ran out there. And, but we don't know. He's grabbed, and rather than be arrested with, uh, you know, and accused with Jesus, he flees naked as they rip his garment from him. Uh, this, this, is, this, is the, this is the team that is coming back to Antioch. Okay? And, and uh, we, John Mark, uh, he became known as an associate of Peter. He traveled with the Apostle Peter, he very, very famous in, in those, those circles. Um, so look back at, at chapter 13 of Acts. We, we have these, these men who are serving God, who are going out in God's name. They're passionately giving their life to God. Um, Mark, again, uh, wrote the gospel of Mark. He's, he's very vested in the, the discipleship to Jesus. He comes to Jesus at some point. Uh, verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas, we've already met him. Simeon, who is called Niger. Now, Niger is a Latin, Latin word that means black. Okay? Uh, if this is the same Simeon of, of Cyrene, you know, as Simon of Cyrene, remember the guy who carried Jesus' cross? Uh, church history, again, tradition, for what it's worth, says that this is the same Simon that carried Jesus' cross. So uh, a man, um, probably, if, if, he's, if he's from Cyrene, uh, again, it's North Africa, probably Libya. So we, we have, uh, uh, and again, an eclectic church, a cosmopolitan church, Simeon, and then, and then uh, you know, Lucius of Cyrene, also from Africa, Manuan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, he probably grew up with Herod, uh, not Agrippa, but Antipas, uh, the guy who took John the Baptist's head, uh, he had inner workings. What, 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 what an interesting, fascinating group. And then there's Saul with rabbinical training and, and who God called to be an apostle. They're in the church at Antioch. What, what an incredible leadership team. What an incredible elder board in the church, right? Uh, red, yellow, black, and white, all precious in God's sight, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, the eastern city of Antioch, a, a melting point for all different cultures and societies, you know, around, around the, the Mediterranean Sea, the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. And these guys are all prophets and teachers in the church. There's, there's not this one lead pastor. They're, they're all doing it together. And, 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 and these, these are the guys who hear the call of God. They've, uh, they've come there to serve the Lord. We don't know much about uh, Manon, and we don't know much about Lucius. Um, we don't know their stories, but they're godly men, apparently. Notice verse 2. Then uh, this is where it becomes interesting for us. How, when does God reveal His will to us? When does God reveal His, His, uh, His prescriptive will? Do this for me. Do that for me. You know, I don't know about you. I, I want to serve the Lord with my whole life. I'll go wherever He wants me to. If He tells me to go to Cyrene, Next week, I'll say, love you, church. I'm out of here, right? And you should be the same way. He wants you to move to the ends of the earth. If Jesus calls, you go, right? You leave your stuff behind because he's the Lord. You're not. We're his servants. And, man, I'd love to hear God tell our church to do this, do that. What kind of a church hears from God? Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... 
the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Now, now who's the they? That's the fascinating question. Uh, there's a lot of debate here. Because, uh, you know, they, they, well, let me keep reading. Uh, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, the work for which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Who, who's the they? Uh, this is the first missionary journey, as it's titled. Uh, they're launched into the first missionary journey. At the end of the first missionary journey, who do Paul and Barnabas report to? They report to the whole church, which is really interesting. I think that they is certainly the five, but I think the church has gathered together in a prayer meeting to seek the Lord. They, they, they come together to worship the Lord. They come together to intercede, uh, to pray, to, but they, they've come fasting. And why, why do people fast? It's kind of a lost art in our day. Uh, sometimes people in our day fast because they, they want to get something, <laughs> kind of a misuse of that. Uh, fasting is a, is a time where we, we set aside normal concerns of life, e even food, so we can focus on God. In the Old Testament, oftentimes it was associated it was associated with, um, like, if there, you wanted God to hear you, you wanted God to pay attention to you, so you put on sackcloth and ashes and you fasted so they know how sincere you were. He'd see your heart. And so the church comes together as, as, a, as, a, as, as one, we think, with these five leaders, and I, I think they're seeking God's next step for them. They're asking God, what would you have us do? Who would you have us go to? Who, who, you know, they're, they're, they're present with God, and, and they set aside food. They set aside things to hear God's voice, to hear God's call, to hear God's word. And so through a prophet, um, again, in Acts, we see prophets all the time. It's not the big P prophecy like the, the apostles and the Old Testament prophets that brought us the word of God. Rather, it's, it's a spiritual gift of prophecy where, where someone probably, one of these guys probably said, hey, I, I think... Uh, the impression I got from God is, is that we should send out Barnabas and Saul. Uh, we see it again and again in, in the early church. Um, but we, we have this, this deal where God says, Church, here's what I want you to do. And, and what a great moment. Now, now how, how do we set the table for that? How do we make that happen? We can't. Sovereign God is going to do what sovereign God is going to do according to His time and His place. You can't manipulate God. You can't control God. You can't force God to do anything. He's the Lord. We're not. We're His church, though. We belong to Him. He's brought us, brought, bought us with His, with His blood to make us His people, and there, thereby we are, we are to be His, his tools, His instruments, his, his workers in the kingdom to accomplish His vision and His will. We, we know clearly what God's... Uh, vision is, right? We talk about vision all the time. A vision, Jesus had a vision that you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the beginning of the ends of the earth work. We know that God has this same, Jesus still has this vision. He wants us to go to the ends of the earth. He wants the people at the ends of the earth to hear the gospel. Strangely, some people think that the San Luis Valley is the end of, end of the earth. So you're right, maybe where God wants you to reach these people. We also know the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Win them to Christ. You know, share the gospel. Reach them for Christ. Disciple them. Bring them into the church and get them using their gifts and skills to build up the church. We know that's the Great Commission. He's given us the Great Commandment. We know what He wants us to do. He wants us to love God and love people in Jesus' name.
So, so we know all that, but the specific way that, that goes about that, how, how does that come about? Well, I think we see here, and this is the summary of the lesson today. We see here some, some men that are already on the move, that are already serving the Lord, that have already given their life to the Lord. We see a church in Antioch that's not stagnant. It's a church in Antioch that's not thinking about itself, that's not inward focused. They're, they're thinking about this, this great city of Antioch and all the lost people that are dying and going to hell. They're, they're, they're dreaming about saving them and rescuing them and, and bringing, building life into them. They're, they're, they're not in a maintenance mode as a church. Isn't it terrible when a church gets in maintenance mode, just taking care of itself, just paying the bills? Just like, hey, the world out there can just blow itself up. We're good. You know, circle the wagons. I hate being a part of a church like that, just maintenance mode, right? And this church and these people, they're pursuing God. And they're, they're, they're already in movement. They're already in motion. They're already going. They're already serving. They're already doing the best they can. Why wouldn't God speak to a church like that? Why wouldn't God call and say, hey, you've been entrusted with little. You've done, been faithful. Hey, I want you to be entrusted with more. Uh, the kind of people that God speaks to, the kind of people that God calls, the kind of people that God sends are those who are already obeying God, who are already walking with God, who are already serving God, who are already giving their life because he knows he can trust them with the work. May that be us. May we not ever become a people that are satisfied with paying off mortgages. May we never be a people that are just satisfied with paying off that RV, just living for ourselves. May we be a people on mission, serving Christ with our very lives, always going, always praying, seeking the lost salvation always being about the Lord's work. And if you want to hear from God, if you want to be where it's happening, if you want to be sent by God, be a people who can be sent. Be a people who are already doing the work. And God will use us greatly. May that be Living Water Bible Fellowship.